Our second lesson for this Lord's Day comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, and I invite you to turn there and to follow along as I read. After the Sabbath, at dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. And so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And herein ends the reading of God's word to us this day. May all praise and honor and glory be to him and to him alone. Amen. As we indicated last week, uh, the gospel writer Matthew had a particular audience in mind as he put quill to scroll, and that was the nation of Israel. His primary goal was to reach the descendants of Abraham with a testimony so compelling that it would help them come to the same conclusion that he had that Jesus of Nazareth was the promised Messiah. Little did he know at that time that his testimony would not only reach his generation of fellow Jews, but it would also be a testimony that would reach Jew and Gentile alike all around the world for millennia to come. As a people, Matthew understood his kinsmen's innate Resistance. He knew their national history that resulted in their having to wander in the wilderness for an entire generation, even though they had just witnessed the miraculous signs of God that led to their freedom out of Egypt. He knew their propensity to shun the inspired words of God's prophets that eventually led to their captivity once again, this time in Babylon. He knew God's own description of them as a stiff-necked people. And so the task of offering eyewitness testimony would not be enough in and of itself. It would require more. And so Matthew recorded all the evidence that he believed would be necessary for an intellectually honest person to arrive at the conclusion that Jesus of Nazareth was God's Redeemer sent to save his people from their sins, 
which is why from the opening of his gospel until the closing words, Matthew included one messianic prophecy after another that he could show was fulfilled in the life and in the ministry of Jesus, even down to the resurrection. Though Matthew knew of his people's resistance, he also knew something else. He also knew that God was gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And it may be that this understanding of God was the compelling reason that each of the gospel writers spent the bulk of their story focused on the atoning work of Christ and His victory over death in the resurrection. For it is this singular work that God's grace and mercy and steadfast love and patience with sinners is most clearly portrayed here. Well, as Matthew begins this chapter, the scene is bathed in darkness. If you've ever had a restless night when sleep was hard to come by and long about two or three in the morning, you finally gave up your tossing and turning. You got up, you made a pot of coffee and settled into an easy chair to read. Then you know that there came that moment when you looked out the window And though it was still night, you could begin to distinguish various forms in the darkness. There's the big oak that stands at the corner of your property. There is your neighbor's garage. There are a dozen deer grazing in your favorite flower bed. Don't you just love them? And then as you look to the east, you can see that daylight is coming. Well, this was the hour of the morning of that first day of the week when these women, loyal to Christ, were meeting at the designated spot loaded with spices and fragrant ointments with which to finish the task of preparing Jesus' body for His own deathly wait until the resurrection on the last day. You see, these women like almost every other Jewish person already believed in resurrection. Do you remember the moment when Jesus was speaking to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, and He said to her, Your brother will rise again. And she responded, I know that He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, the idea of resurrection was not a foreign concept to the majority of the Jews. But as these women walked towards the tomb in the early morning darkness, it was not resurrection someday off in the far distant future that occupied their thoughts. They were thinking about the finality of death. They were thinking about the horror that they witnessed on Friday. They were thinking about their dashed hopes and their overwhelming sadness that the most amazing teacher they had ever known, the humblest of godly servants they had ever been around, the most gifted miracle worker who never turned a person away, had been brutally humiliated and put to death by those in authority and their hearts were breaking. But all those thoughts were decisively interrupted 
As they drew near to the tomb, when the ground beneath their feet heaved to the point that they nearly lost their footing and the piercing image of an angelic being suddenly came into view, seated on the massive stone that had once blocked the entrance to Jesus' tomb, but was now rolled away. The Gospel writer John does not just describe it as having been rolled away, but suggests that it had been lifted out of its track as though tossed aside, perhaps as a result of that earthquake. But this angel was brilliant in appearance. Matthew uses the color and intensity of lightning as a comparison. Or the squinting brilliance of the sun sparkling on a field of new fallen snow. And so powerfully dramatic was this angel's entrance into this burial ground that the Roman guards trembled at the sight and fainted in fear. Which is saying something. These were not your average fellows. They were hardened soldiers equipped with armor and weaponry designed to discourage anyone from resisting their commands. The word that Matthew uses to describe their trembling is the root word for seismic. In other words, the sight of the angels shook them to their core. And it may have done the same for these faithful, godly women who were also startled and struck by awe were it not for the fact that the angels spoke directly to them and commanded them not to be afraid for he was expecting them. He said, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. In other words, this encounter with the angel is not accidental. It's not coincidental. It's, it is intentional. It is by divine appointment. The angel is here because God has sent him to these women with a message. And that message is that the one for whom they seek has risen from the dead. Now, as difficult as that may be to believe, the angel invites them to confirm what he has just said. He invites them to step up and step in to see that the shelf upon which Jesus had been laid less than 36 hours before by by some of them, actually, along with Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, is now gone. And so they do. And Jesus is no longer there. Now, here is a fact that requires explanation. When you put a most valuable piece of jewelry in a safety deposit box at the bank and it is guarded night and day and you alone have the key, you expect that no matter how long you are away, when you return one day, it will still be there. And if it's not, somebody has some explaining to do. The jewelry didn't just simply evaporate or escape on its own. Somebody is responsible for its disappearance. And the same is true of dead bodies. They don't move either. At least usually. But this is part of the story that is most intriguing. The reason that there were Roman guards watching over the grave of Jesus is because there was a prophecy concerning his resurrection that the religious authorities were attempting to squelch. 
the chief priests, who were primarily Sadducees, along with the Pharisees, had gone to Pontius Pilate with a concern. And they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Do you remember the passage that we read last week concerning Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem? And the crowd was so loud and stirred up that it caused a commotion in the city that resulted in the residents asking, Who is this? And what answer did they receive? This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So to mitigate the possibility that his disciples might attempt to fabricate a resurrection by stealing his dead body or... God forbid that Jesus just might fulfill his own prophecy by resurrection. A Roman contingent was posted there to guard against anything odd taking place. But by posting a guard, the religious authorities actually helped to substantiate the resurrection as well as the messianic identity of Jesus. No ordinary Jew would have believed for a moment that the body of Christ was stolen from a tomb that was being guarded by Roman soldiers. Nor would they have believed that those same guards would have all been sleeping throughout the night, for such dereliction of duty would have had severe consequences. And yet the tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea was empty. Anyone who would have wanted to inspect it could have done so because Jesus was the first person to have been buried there. And he wasn't there now. So how does one explain that? Particularly when the word that is hitting the streets is that Jesus has risen from the dead. You see, the angel doesn't tell the women to begin spreading the news that the dead body of Jesus is missing. He tells them to begin telling others that Jesus is alive and is on the move to Galilee, which the women immediately begin to do. We are told that they leave there there with fear and great joy. Now, what a combination that is. Something dramatic has occurred that elicits two strong emotions within these women such that they will never forget this experience for the rest of their lives. They have come face to face with a celestial figure who stands regularly in the presence of God and that has filled them with a deep sense of fear. But he has also just given them a mission to fulfill. They have been appointed to be the first heralds of the resurrection of the Son of God, which fills their hearts with an unspeakable joy, for it means things that their minds cannot fully comprehend in that moment, but which they innately understand changes everything about all of life as well as about eternity. But then an even greater joy overwhelms these women for no sooner do they scurry off on their new mission than they are greeted by the risen Christ Himself. Oh, how wonderfully kind is the Savior 
to greet these women who lovingly came so early in the morning to anoint him with fragrances designed to stave off the stench of death, only to discover that our final enemy has itself been put to death. Beloved, do we comprehend what the bodily resurrection of Christ means for us? This is what the apostles proclaimed in all their preaching and their teaching. The book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 33 says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Paul writes about this resurrection to the Romans and the Corinthians, to the Galatians and the Ephesians and the Philippians and the Thessalonians and the Colossians. He speaks of it to Timothy. The Apostle Peter writes of it to all the saints scattered across Asia Minor. We find it in the book of Revelation as recorded by the Apostle John. And yet there are those today who follow the unbelieving Sadducees and Pharisees more than they follow Jesus Christ. For they would insist to you on this Easter morning that the bodily resurrection of Christ is not the point and that it is unnecessary for your faith. Even though Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And this is why the Apostle Paul would decry such charlatans as the heretics that they are, for they do not believe this. But without the resurrection, you and I are still in our sin. And we are without hope of salvation Paul says Jesus was raised from the dead for our justification. The resurrection of Christ from the dead is the declaration of God to the world that the debt for our sin was fully satisfied in the atoning work of Christ. It is God's testimony to the world that Jesus of Nazareth was no ordinary man, but he was the sinless Lamb of God sent to take away the sin of the world. We began today by pointing out that Matthew had a particular purpose in offering his testimony to his people, the Hebrews. What is interesting is that when the synoptic gospel writers all list the names of the twelve, they all include Matthew. But Matthew, when Matthew lists the twelve, describes himself as Matthew, the tax collector. This man understood the dramatic transformation that occurred in his life the day that he met Jesus and was called away from his old life. And everything became new. But you see, Matthew, the tax collector, has no story to tell, no convincing argument to make, no reason for fine, upstanding Jews to listen to his testimony unless the resurrection actually occurred. The Jews to whom he is writing will have no interest in what Matthew the tax collector has to say apart from the resurrection. 
If Matthew writes his narrative about a rabbi who really helped him get his priorities straight and offered him some very handy positive thinking platitudes that got him to fly right and stay the course, that's a story that never would have survived 2,000 years because there were a thousand rabbis like that. They all gave advice. They all still do. They all told people like Matthew to fly right and stay the course. No. The reason that Matthew's gospel survives the annals of time, the reason that it was meticulously copied over and over again and passed from house church to house church and then from believer to believer is because he makes a claim that no one could debunk. That this Jesus who was crucified on a Friday rose again from the dead on Sunday just like he said. And what added to Matthew's testimony and that of all the apostles was when they could not be dissuaded from their witness no matter how bad the persecution became, all that they endured even to the point of death for they had all seen the risen Christ. They had all eaten with Him and tactilely examined the nail prints in His hand and His feet. They saw the place where the Roman soldier pierced His side and where the crown of thorns pierced His brow. Though they had abandoned Him at the moment of His arrest, and Peter had denied even knowing Him, though Thomas refused to believe in the resurrection news at the very beginning, they would not do so now. For Christ's resurrection changed the entire calculus of the meaning of life. We mentioned at the start of this message that Matthew was well aware of the Hebrews' resistance to the Lord. But that is not a trait that is peculiar to them. It is true of all people. The Bible says that there is no one who seeks after God. That all we like sheep have gone astray. We have each sought to go our own way. But we also mention that Matthew knew something else. He also knew that God was gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And because of that, he wrote his gospel so that his kinsmen and so many others might know that Jesus is Lord and that they would put their faith fully in Him. Oh, I hope that is true of you this Easter. For the truth is that Christ is risen. And because He is risen, it makes all the difference in the world. And if you have not yet put your faith fully in Him, I invite you to do so even now as we come together in prayer. Would you please pray with me?